0: Hello and welcome back ah, to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. Apologies, that is the first time in a very long time that I've actually missed a week doing a podcast episode. I have been for the past six days on the road, left at 8am on Thursday the thursday the 12th and we got back at midnight or 10 to midnight on wednesday the 18th that is eight hours short of a whole week on the road so we left from Tenerife. we packed up the fiat put the trailer on the back of it fiat now just to give you an idea the little fiat 500 2009 model 190,000 miles on the clock, pulling a 300 kilo trailer all the way, effectively from Africa, from Tenerife. Ferry from Tenerife to Africa, ferry from Tenerife to Africa, Ferry, ferry from Tenerife to mainland Spain, which took 32 hours, then drove the whole way through Spain, the whole way through France, ferry from Northern France to the UK about 2,500 miles covered, uh, including land and sea, and actually on land it was 1,690 miles covered in the Fiat without a hiccup, and that has confirmed in my mind, mileage is meaningless, completely meaningless. If you're looking at a motorbike or a car, it doesn't matter, forget about the mileage. I have never, ever, ever had a problem related or mileage related with any vehicle I've ever owned my past three vehicles now the Fiat 500 with hundred and ninety thousand miles on the clock the most reliable car I have ever owned the car I had before that was a Jaguar xk with hundred and fifty seven thousand miles on the clock absolutely rock-solid and the car I had before that was the second most reliable car I've ever owned and that was a 1999 Honda Accord with 167,000 miles on the clock. The least reliable car that I have ever owned by a huge distance was a smart car from 2009 with 33,000 miles on the clock and it was so unreliable, it ended up having to be an econ- or an uneconomical repair and they had to write the car off because the engine was so badly destroyed just because it was a diesel car being driven in the city and it was written off with 33,000 miles on the clock. Not because I'd crashed it, but because the engine was so far gone, it was an uneconomical repair. So there we go. I've got out what I wanted to say. Mileage is meaningless. Go out there, it's biking season. Go and grab a bargain, G- get on there, type in the highest mileage vehicles you can onto Bike Trade or onto eBay, go and grab a bargain because everyone else is too scared to take a high mileage vehicle, go and grab it. Vehicles, they will last forever. As long as you just give them some basic maintenance, there is no reason why they cannot go on forever. Okay, right, oh, I've said it. Okay, I wanted to get onto two things first that have been delayed by about a week because I've been badly organized while traveling. Let me see which one I'm going to do first. Okay, here we go. This is, do, 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 Freddie, this is, someone messaged me on YouTube. They said, Freddie, I have a question with the new and up and coming neo retro slash classically styled bikes that are being developed would it make sense to look at these old gems of motorcycles or would it be wiser to get the new iterations of the classically styled bikes in terms of reliability uh, the the newer ones win of course but there is something magical about these 30 to 40 year old bikes um that would make, um, you know, that would make you choose getting one over a sea or a Triumph or a Royal Enfield. I would love this to hear this topic discussed in either a video or your podcast. Cheers, Oliver. So, the question. A brand new modern classic bike or a genuine classic bike, 30 to 40 years old? And Oliver, I can answer this, and this is just my opinion, but I can answer this crystal clear in my mind. I've ridden a few older bikes. In fact, I've, I've had a few older bikes. I've had a 1993 Suzuki RF600. can't believe it, but that's pretty much 30 years old now. And I had a 2002 Suzuki Bandit. Both of them were carb bikes, carburetor, not fuel injection. And both were the least reliable bikes I've ever owned. And both were... A nightmarish hell when actually going out to use them because I I had those bikes when they were really my only mode of transport. They had to be the bike that would start every evening to get me to work in my, I worked at B&Q at the time, which is kind of a, uh, a warehouse type shop where you can buy building goods. And the one criteria I needed from my Suzuki RF600 at the time was it had to be able to start and it had to be able to get me to work. And unfortunately, it couldn't do either of those things. It was at best a 50-50 gamble if it would actually start in the winter months. And even in the summer months, it wasn't perfect. Either the battery would have died or because it's carb, these carb bikes, they They're lovely and characterful but they are they are difficult to get going if they don't want to start i remember so many times going downstairs all of my bike and gear on about to head off for my 8 pm start at my job at the time and the bike wouldn't start and then i'd have to jump on the bike and run it down a hill like us on a bobsleigh jump on it and hope i could jump start it if it didn't work the first time i'd then have to push it all the way back up to the top of the hill losing about a kilo in sweat every time just praying that it would start on the third or fourth attempt by the time i'd got on it i was shaking so much through adrenaline and sweat i'd get to work looking like i was maybe homeless or at least hadn't had a shower in about a week that was my suzuki rf from 1993 my suzuki bandit from 2002 also a carbed bike with an old school engine may have been a 2002 but that engine been around for ages and that was equally unreliable. I remember Monica waving me off as I would get onto this bike and she would know deep down that it would be a 50-50 chance at best that I would actually return home because either the bike would have broken down or something would have fallen off it and It was genuinely about 50% of the time. I'll call Monica 20 minutes later saying, yep, broken down again, side of the motorway. It was just completely standard to be breaking down on that bike. But because it was an old bike, it was very simple. So what would happen is I would end up having to carry a backpack, even if I don't need to carry anything, even if I'm not staying overnight anywhere, I would have to carry a backpack full of tools just to go out and go to work or go and see friends or family on that Suzuki Bandit. Completely full tool set because there would always be things falling off or a fuel line getting pinched underneath the tank that I constantly had to unpinch. So that meant unscrewing the tank and unpinching the fuel line and relocating the fuel line. Every single journey involved at least a minor amount of maintenance. And and then, and then onto YouTube, About three weeks ago, I got to test out this Kawasaki Z1000. The Eddie Lawson replica. 1982 bike. The king of the roads back in 82. Or one of the desirable bikes to have. And it's a very, very desirable classic now. Very desirable. So this fits in perfectly because this is bang on a 40-year-old bike. So it'll be fairly similar to what you're talking about here, Oliver. And I could just tell that my one day with that bike would have been exactly the same ownership and user experience as I had with my old Suzuki bikes. It cut out twice in the traffic and warm weather. I never 100% trusted that it would get me from A to B. You just get that feeling with the older bikes that you're in for a bit of an adventure because you're never 100% sure it will start. You know, it's the starting. It takes a bit longer to start. It may conk out in traffic if it's a car bike. It it may not start if it's cold. The electrics are always more iffy. They just don't feel quite as solid and well-made as newer motorcycles. I find the sweet spot, if you want reliability, it has to be 2008 and onwards. So Oliver, to answer your question, it's a very simple one for me. The classic bikes are lovely to look at and lovely to admire from afar and i i respect the people that have them but i like admiring them from afar for me for usability a lot of joy from biking for me comes with actually being able to use it and jump on it and know that i can just ride it and it will start every single day and after having two unreliable carved bikes i appreciate a reliable bike that will just start in the morning without any issue at all. That is amazing because I've experienced how stressful it is having a bike that's unreliable. So take the newer bike. If if you want that just ease of use and deep down peace inside knowing that your vehicle will start, go for the newer one. So I really would say just go out and get a new one. It may not quite have the character, but I would trade a bit of character for reliability. I hope that helped Oliver. Right, on to the next. Okay, Freddy, I've got a scenario for you. You have to choose one bike, but, here's the key, but only for your two-hour Sunday ride. And there's a catch, it can't be a triumph, and, it has to be under ten thousand pounds. What would it be? After all the bikes you've tried, I would love to know. Could be the make, well, could be the makings of a video. That sounds good, but I'd probably need to get probably about ten bikes together for that. So I'll start with a podcast episode, and I'll start here. We're looking at here a bike that doesn't need to be incredibly practical. We're looking for something that makes you feel amazing just to use it on a Sunday blast. So I'm looking for character. I'm looking for something that makes me feel amazing. And out of the bikes that I've tested recently, there are two bikes that spring to mind. The Royal Enfield Continental. And for a brand new one, you're looking at, I think around about five and a half, thousand pounds or something like that in fact let me see what i can find a used one for the the reason the royal enfield continental comes to mind first for me that is a real bike that that just makes you feel so incredible it takes you back to to london 1950s 1960s the the cafe racers the the rockers the ton up boys you get transformed and you get you, you get taken back 60 years on that bike the second you get on it. You feel like a hooligan, you feel every second, you feel every meter of the road on that because you're so hunched down, you're so cr- crammed into that fairly small bike. Your knees are up, your wrists are down. The character from that air-cooled engine, it's a sensory overload. It is not a bike that I'd want to do long journeys on and it's not actually a bike I'd really want to commute on because it's not the most comfortable. However, for a weekend toy, there are very, very few bikes that will induce smiles per miles more than the Royal Enfield Continental if you want to feel something. Oh, the Continental GT is is almost unbeatable. I'm just going to check used prices right now. So price lowest. I mean, you can get an old one, 535cc. They're they're, they're £3,000. Let's have a look and see for... Let's go for the 650, because I know that. 5,300. I mean, it's insane. They keep their value so well. They basically don't drop in value. You can't go wrong with that. It's going to be an amazing weekend toy. It will not drop one penny in value. It looks, it's as head-turner a bike as any you will find. And it's yours for half the budget of 10K, 5,300 pounds. So I'd go for that. Or there's another bike as well. An Indian. An Indian Scout Bobber. Now, these are very, very special bikes, but the question is, can I get one for 10K? Oh, they hold their value well as well. It's just American bikes hold their value so damn well. Okay, I can get one. I'd need to do a bit of haggling. 2019 Indian Scout Bobber, 10000 680 pounds, 3,000 miles on the clock, lovely brown seat, very small rear backrest. And every time I look at them, I just love them so much. It does make me think I'd quite like to own one. Those fat, chunky tires, powerful engine, head-turning looks. I remember when I tested one of these, I, I would get. I was getting stopped in the street a lot with that bike, a lot, I remember twice in one day, there was a a refuse man in one of the the trucks that pick up all of the rubbish and he pulled me over and he said is that is that the Scout Bobber and he said I this has been my dream bike ever since it came out and he asked if he could sit on the bike and have his photo taken so he could send his wife I remember that vividly it's a very very special bike so I would also be looking at that the Indian Scout Bobber but you know, these bikes hold their value so well. There's one more I want to, to check here. Within the 10,000 pound budget, I said Royal Enfield because they're, they're so characterful. Also have a look at the Royal Enfield, have a look at the classic. You got one for 4K. That as a weekend toy is incredible. Although of course it's a slow bike. But if I'm looking for a real weekend toy, I cannot overlook. Harley Davidson. I want to see. Let's just very quickly see what I can get. If I can get a really characterful Harley Davidson soft tail. And you can, I mean, I mean, this is a good shout. You know, these soft tails, look at a 20 year old Harley Davidson soft tail. You can get one for 7K or so. You know they come in at seven k. That's a lovely weekend toy. Three k under the ten k budget as well. And there's a very very good choice, fourteen fifty cc engine. I tell you, I have a look at this. Seven and a half thousand pounds, two thousand and four model Harley Davidson. Juice, D E U C E. Spoke wheels just such a beautifully classic design with a rear back well, rear backrest with a backrest single chrome headlamp private seller so you're going to get the best deal possible here a uh, very nice example block capitals mot for a year four owners 8000 miles on the clock i mean it looks completely as new 8000 miles on the clock for such a beautiful bike you know, you know I'm, I'm even tempted by that, genuinely. You know, seven and a half K for uh, what looks like an as-new Harley won't lose a penny in value, not one penny. Well, I hope that's helped. Have a look at the Harley, just type in Harley Softtail, Indian Scout and Royal Enfield Continental for characterful bikes. You will not go wrong with any of those. Okay, I move on. Now, oh, I have to get to a story actually before I get onto a specific bike I wanted to talk about. I just got sent through this and this is about cars, but it's all much of a muchness because road trips inspire me almost more than anything else. And a road trip with a simple vehicle uh, is one of the most inspiring things for me because it's it opens up the door to everyone, every kind of biker, or drive, whether you're a car enthusiast or a biking enthusiast, doing it uh, on a a cheap vehicle, whether it's a bike or a car, it means that it's accessible to everyone. You know, if you do a road trip, uh, you know, 3,000 miles across the US in a a brand new Jeep Wrangler, you know, that is amazing and it's brilliant, but it's expensive to get a Wrangler. But if you can do it in a, a $500 car, Yeah, it may not be as comfortable, but it means that it's accessible to everyone and everyone can do it. And it means that, you know, everyone can dream of, wow, I can go on a road trip. It's just it's so brilliant whether you've just passed your test, whether you've just finished university, whether, you know, saving money is tough and you may not be able to afford a brand new car. These older vehicles open up a world of adventure to everyone and I love them for it. Listen to this, uh, Freddie. basically, last year, my, uh, a good friend of mine was, was diagnosed with MS and he was visiting me um, and we've always spoken of doing a road trip. I bought a 1999 Peugeot 206 with just 55,000 miles on the clock uh, just to use as a, a runner to work and back and it's just passed its MOT, which is the annual check that we have here in the UK and it passed it so easily. Um, so... I was with my friend having a couple of beers and the idea came up of driving this Peugeot 206, which for any non-Europeans who may not have seen it, it's a little French car, small engine, probably about a 1.2 litre, and it's in essence a small hatchback. So after a few beers, we came up with the idea of driving this said Peugeot 206 from the UK to Gibraltar right down on the southernmost tip of Spain and just a few miles north of Africa. Now I continue. Now I've never done this sort of thing before but since then it's consumed literally every bit of spare time that I've had be it preparing the car, researching destinations, buying camping equipment, saving up etc. So a week on Saturday, we're heading from Durham to Harwich. Harwich, I think it's Harwich. Durham to Harwich, which is uh, a port. I think it's on the east coast of England. So we're heading from Durham to Harwich to get the ferry. And then we're going, yes it is, east coast of England. And then we're doing the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, Monaco. And basically following the coast road through the south of France, through Spain, before hopefully arriving in Gibraltar, before deciding how we're going to head home. Ah, it's a trip of a lifetime. You know, just, just reading it, just daydreaming. I've done a similar thing in a, an old Mark III Golf 1995. I remember when I finished university, I thought, right, I'm going to relocate to Monaco, work on a ship and become a millionaire. First things first, let's get to Monaco. So I did the same thing. And that is just, you never forget these. I always think when I think of a road trip and stuff, what will I think? You know, when I'm on my deathbed, when I'm in my 80s or something, hopefully if I live that long, you know, what will I look back on and smile at most? And I always think adventure, a road trip. You know, that feeling of the unknown, that they're the things that are ingrained in my mind more than anything. So that is ah, it's hugely inspiring. I love that. Thank you for sharing that with me. It's brilliant. OK, I I want to get on to a, a lovely bike I saw on Tenerife. And I wanted to chat about this probably about two weeks ago or so. Uh, but... Uh, just heading off from Tenerife, I got completely waylaid. I saw a lovely looking bike and it's a Yamaha Virago. These are bikes that often go, at least in my mind, slightly under the radar. And I will, let me see if I can get one up now. In fact, I'm just going to open this up so I'm not too organized because I I literally got back last night at midnight. Uh, And it's just 10 hours later, but because I hadn't done the podcast in so long, it's the first thing I wanted to do. Okay, Yamaha Virago. Right, let me just read about this to you. Uh, The Yamaha Virago is Yamaha's first ever V-twin cruiser motorcycle and one of the earliest mass-produced motorcycles with a mono rear shock. Basically, it's a cruiser-looking bike, and it's just a really edgy take on your your standard looking maybe even um if you look at the harley davidson as the base this is a slightly edgier almost spicier twist to it it's got that lovely looking v-twin engine but it's got a really high raked tank almost unusually high raked tank They're, they're very very unique looking bikes and after seeing one in the flesh in tenerife I did think to myself god that's a good looking bike so i posted it on an instagram and i said wow these are these are lovely looking bikes and i had a few i think german bikers messaging me and said freddie these are not expensive bikes at all you can pick these up very cheaply so let me see if i can find how much these are in fact they may have another name sometimes bikes have a different a different name, I think it's called the Yamaha, I'm just checking here, XV. Okay, so it will be the Yamaha XV 1100 or the Yamaha XV 535. I don't know why bikes do this. With a car, it's easy. You get a Jeep Wrangler. But with motorbikes, you'll often have, for example, a Yamaha Virago. And I'll be like, okay, great. Type in Yamaha Virago to Auto Trader, And then it's like, well, nope. Virago doesn't exist and then you have to do some googling and realize oh the real name is the Yamaha XV1100 which is the least catchy name I've ever heard. I don't know why they just don't call it the name that they give it. They always have to have these weird code names but anyway Yamaha Virago which I now know is the, and I've forgotten again, the XV1100 or the XV535. So they do them in two different engine sizes. Let's try, okay, so the XV535, there are 20 of them. And the XV1100, there are five of them on Auto Trader. What are we looking at price-wise? Okay coming at two and a half K. That, that is quite tempting. I'll tell you what I'll do though. I've got a funny feeling I may prefer the look of the the 500cc. So if I just go back, Yamaha XV535, more common. Tell you what, I may even go for the, this is quite unusual for me. Usually for the cruisers, I do like the bigger engines, but I would be very tempted to go for, oh, I mean, this is it. This is this is what this episode's all about. This is a 1994. I'm going to show you this as an example. 1994 Yamaha XV535, i.e. the Yamaha Virago. 1994 model. So it's coming up to 30 years old. It's a 535cc bike, lovely, characterful looking V-twin engine, that raked tank, real, just easy going cruiser style with a backrest and a rear rack as well. So comfortable for passengers, all in black, looks brilliant. The price from the private seller here, £1,995, that, is a brilliant, brilliant looking bike and it's got less than 20,000 miles on the clock and have a listen to this from the owner. Yamaha Virago XV535 in great condition with less than 20,000 miles on the clock. This model is fuel efficient, so cheap to fill up and economical to maintain. Always stays covered and has over three years service history available It's a great bike that's comfortable at motorway speed and has a low seat. The next MOT is due in September. It's got a part service history. It's had five owners, electric start, steering lock, shaft drive, yada, yada, yada. Oh, that's a great looking bike. It's going to cost you very little to buy at under 2K, very little to maintain. It will be very mild mannered at 500cc and with a low seat height, it means it can be accessible for everyone And with that rear rack and the rear seat rest, it will mean that it's comfortable for a pillion and also you can have lots of different storage options. That that is the key to today's podcast episode. That bike can open up just the freedom of the open road. Biking season's upon us now and for under £2,000 you can have here a tool that will take you Anyway, you want to cross Europe? Grab one of these Yamahas. You wanna do a Euro trip this summer, you've got dreams of it? Go and pick that up because that is a superb looking bike for the money. Okay, right, I will, in fact, that's perfect timing. I'll end, I'll end right there with that. I'll include a link to this exact bike that I was looking at because, That's got to be a brilliant bike for someone looking for some cool looking cheap two wheel transport. Okay. Thank you so much everyone for listening to this week's episode. I will get back to my weekly podcast episodes. Have a brilliant week all and I'll speak to you in the next one.